Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Haas Talks Foss. I'm the Haas, Matt Yakovitz. I'm here with Alvaro Hernandez. Alvaro, how are you today? I'm very good. Thank you for having me today. Yes. And, and, and quite honestly, based on your wall, I think people will understand what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> so before we go anywhere, you have to tell me about the elephant in the room. Right, right. That's a good one. Yes, there's, there's, here's the elephant skull slonic. Slonic, I guess most of part of the audience is maybe familiar with this. That means elephant, small elephant in Russian. And uh, so, yeah, it's a mascot of Postgres. So, yeah, probably some people say that one of every three words I say is probably Postgres. I don't know if that's true, but for sure, uh, at least in the data on Kubernetes community, people know that if they say Postgres, Postgres, Postgres three times, I will pop up. Yeah, it's better than saying Beetlejuice three times. Right? <laughs> Indeed. Beetlejuice. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, but uh, no, so what, tell me about the mask. Where, where did you get the, the, the wall decoration? See, this is actually very interesting. Um, I, I, I helped, I created, let's say, uh, it's not about me, but uh, I helped founded a nonprofit organization in Spain. One of the goals of this organization is to organize a Postgres conference with a different goal, uh, the goal of interacting more with people, promoting more the hallway track, and the, being inspiring for, for what is the future of Postgres. Don't worry, I'm getting to the elephant. And <laughs> this conference is called Postgres Ibiza, and it happens on the fantastic island of Ibiza in Spain, in the Mediterranean Sea, in summer, um, or so before the pandemic. It will come, come back after next year, 2022. And there in Ibiza, there is a, a shop that is Absolutely unbelievable. I love it. Uh, it's called the Sluits. And it, it's so weird, so imaginative. It has like the weirdest things you'll ever see in a shop. Like even the parking lots, they have signals. And uh, like this is for crazy people. This is for drug abusers. This is like for, you know, like any kind of thing. And you need to pick one. And, and everything's crazy in the shop. And they had this elephant. Um, it was just in white. Uh, the design from our team is painted blue, Postgres blue color, and that's where we get it from. We ship it from Ibiza to, to our offices. Excellent. I mean, it's a very unique piece, and it does set the stage for the rest of the conversation, right? Um, and knowing that you've been in the Postgres space for many years now, maybe enlighten us. How did you get started? Well, that's, that's a good one. So I, I'm here by chance, but uh, I haven't been elsewhere also. So I was at the university around year 1997, my second year at the university, and I had to work on a project. I, I joined a, a student's union and I was helping there with the students. And so I was tasked to build some, some software and I was just starting with software. And uh, I at some point said, oh, I need to store some data. And uh, how can I do this? And I asked a colleague and I said, hey, I need to store data. Where do I do this? Like, you know, like some, something like told me like, a, Text file was not a good option. So I've heard something called database. I was really, really not knowledgeable at the time. And my friend said, oh, yes, then you need Postgres. What is Postgres? Search for it. Okay. So I started researching, found Postgres. Oh, this is open source. I can install it. I started using it and never looked back. And Postgres has, since 1997, fulfilled all my personal, professional, and my customers' needs. And so that's why. Uh, the only times I've looked to other databases are either because of my personal interest in, in learning about databases, and, and I've tried to learn about almost all of them, uh, 
or because of migrations to Postgres for our customers. But other than that, I really don't have significant experience with other databases because Postgres has always uh, fulfilled all my needs. Yeah, no, and and that's great. You know, starting off early, I remember, you know, that's how my database journey started off as well. I, I've worked on many different databases um, over the years. I mean, I started off more towards the evil empire because I started as an Oracle DBA and then moved, you know, towards open source, um, you know, a, a few years after college. Uh, but uh, I think it's it's interesting because open source has been so powerful in a university and educational setting. It's enabled, you know, students, it's enabled people to do things that they could never do before. Um, I, I remember, um, I did several projects over the course of my life, even when I was one of those evil Oracle DBAs, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, uh, built websites, games, different things. And I always used um, either MySQL or Postgres or some open source components, PHP, Perl, um, Python over the years, uh, because I don't have to like have this huge barrier to entry back, back when I started back when you were in college, right? If you wanted to use an Oracle database, okay, that's $50,000. <laughs> and I'm not the type of student who had $50,000 laying around. Okay, um, right. You know, I'm guessing you probably fall into the same boat oh, as yeah, me, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I started with, uh, you know, the LAMP stack. I started with, you know, um, you know, different open source components. Um, and it's a powerful thing uh, to enable so many different types of people and so many different, you know, uh, steps on their journey to be able to do really cool and interesting things. Indeed. I also got involved early with the, with the Postgres community um, itself. Uh, well, I mean, every user is already part of the Postgres community, but I mean, like more active roles. Um, I remember I was attending the, by then, the main Postgres conference, which was held in Ottawa, still held there. It's called PGCon. And I went there in 2010. And uh, I was attending a talk and someone said, you know, we're looking for speakers for the next year. No, sorry, that was probably 2009. So uh, we're looking for speakers for the next year. And you don't need to be an expert. I consider everybody an expert. I was like, I'm just a bare bones user. And they said, you don't need to be an expert as long, you know, if there's some topic that you love, you want to speak about it, who you're already an expert in that topic. And, you know, you should apply. And I was thinking, I'm also not really proficient in English. And uh, this is an excellent opportunity to try to do both at the same time, to speak at the conference, which I've never done before, and also to do it in English, which, uh, you know, it will maybe it will help me improve a little bit. And so next year I did, and I did my first talk. At the, so that was 20, 2010. Uh, it was a disaster. I, I, uh, it was a really bad talk. It's still there. Um, but uh, apparently some people liked it. <laughs> uh, but and a couple of years later, I did another one that, that also was uh, at least was, was more uh, successful. Uh, actually, it, a lot of people came to talk to me after that talk. It, it, it created some curios uh, curiosity around it. And since then, I've done more than 100 tech talks since that year, 2010, uh, probably around 120 today, and most of them are around Postgres. Well, and this is an interesting thing because, you know, there's so many people who want to contribute to the community, but they don't feel they can because they don't have the code level skills. They, I, I don't know C. I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know how to program. 
Um, they might know the database side. They might run the database. They might know some scripting, uh, but they don't feel that they can contribute. And I think that, you know, sharing your knowledge and being able to share your experiences is probably one of the best ways people can contribute. I absolutely agree. There, there's actually two sides of this, I would say. One is the type of contribution. And, and the other one is that you may feel that something is not interesting, even though it is for others. This, this second talk I was just referring to before, it was about, it was a project that we did uh, just for fun called Billion Tables Project. The idea was to see if there's a limit in terms of how many tables you can create on a database. Empty tables, by the way, like no data, just the tables, the structure, right? Um, this was a joke that started one day with some beers by some people. We had read it about it and we decided to go for this. So we aimed for creating 1 billion tables. And this is pretty lame, right? Like, what, why you ever want to do this without data and, and what for? And But at the end of the day, we submitted this talk, a colleague of mine and myself, I presented this talk at the conference. And at the end, and I start seeing like like major contributors joining the room before I started the talk. And I was like, oh, oh my God, you know, like my second talk ever on a conference and like the main posturous people are coming to listen to me. They, they, they're not so good. This is like a joke. And then when the talk finished, I, I remember one of them, uh, Bruce Mongen came to me and said, wow, this is pretty impressive. You know, like all the tuning that you did and all the way, all the lens that you had to go and all this parallelization that you had to go just to be able to create these tables. And by the way, you found the limit that we didn't even know about it. Like, this is amazing. And I was shocked. I was not expecting, I was thinking it was a pretty lame talk that nobody will ever listen to, but it was very interesting for many. And still today, some people refer to it like a tuning example of some extreme cases. So whatever you feel is, so one topic is what you, may not consider interesting, might be definitely interesting for others. So don't hesitate to try to share it. The other one is that, and this is probably a problem in, in the Postgres community, there's a strong bias towards praising code contributions, which are obviously awesome, and uh, not uh, putting into the same category or at least a similar category, non-code contributions. And those are critical for a community too. Be it organizing conference, creating documentation, Promoting postures in your timeline, in, in, in whatever social media. Like there's so many things that you can do to contribute to a community. There are non-code contributions that um, that is a little bit something you're missing. Yeah, and I think that this is where it's interesting. I see this in the Postgres spaces, um, a great opportunity for um, all those in the community to accelerate. Because from an a entry-level perspective, Postgres is, you know, growing, it's becoming, you know, more and more popular every day, but it is so difficult for a lot of developers to adopt as easily as some of the other databases that are on the market. And it's not that there's lack of information, but a lot of times people who have been in the community for a long time, I've done this myself as I do talks on things I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. I tend to overlook or neglect the easy things because I assume people know them. Even if I'm not making the conscious decision, subconsciously I assume you might, you know, everybody should know how to do an installation or everyone should know how to configure this uh out of the box or how to fill in the blank. Yeah. And now we've got more developers in the world than we've ever had before so many developers. Right. And a lot of them have learned for the first time 
the easy ways to deploy code or to build infrastructure. Amazon, big button, right? Spin up an instance. It's magically there. Throw some data in a in a in an object store. You're done. Yeah. So their idea on easy is vastly different than mine. Totally. Totally. We see that, or I consider this as a, as a, as a notable problem. Um, Postgres is growing a lot. This is undeniable, and this is fantastic. I'm very proud of it. But is it growing as much as it could? Is the developer base with also having a sustainable growth? Uh, you already mentioned it. There's many. There's more developers than ever in the world, and there's also as many projects more than any other time in terms of open source projects available. And we are we're always bound by our human nature, right? So when you when you're trying to contribute in your free time to an open source project, there's so many to choose from, right? And creating friction is potentially a barrier for for adopting new contributors. Now, if you look at the Postgres contributing process, it's really really uh, creates a lot of friction. So the first thing you see is that Postgres is not on GitHub or GitLab or equivalent. I mean, it is, but it's just a mirror. And it says, we don't take pull requests. Go to the contributing guide, which is a wiki. It already feels like a bit odd for some, like, what is this wiki thing, right? It's not Wikipedia. And then you go there, it says, review the to-do list. And what is the to-do list? And it's a, it's a set of items collected over the last 30 years without any order there that you need to review before submitting an issue because there's no issue tracker. Then you finally decide to, to create a patch. You need to subscribe to a mailing list, which uh, spams you with 200 emails per day. And well, I mean, you can delete them, uh, but you really need to be there in order to share and, and, and contrast with all the developers, whether your patch or your ideas are good. Then if you even are able to finally submit the patch, someone is gonna take it and commit it on your behalf. There's no pull requests. So someone will literally take your patch, which by the way, you had to attach as an, as an attachment to an email, and download, apply locally, and commit as, as his or hers. You'll, you'll get a mention though, but this will not show up on your GitHub profile. So there's a lot of friction in this process that we don't know the impact. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not allowing Postgres to grow even more or to have a more sustainable developer space. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting because even over the last few years, the amount of tools and the amount of emphasis people put on different products like GitHub and your GitHub profile, that makes or breaks a lot of people's ability to get jobs and, you know, you profile themselves as competent. And as they look for projects to work with and contribute with, that can be a barrier, especially to this current generation of developers. My generation, now now I'm older, <laughs> right? Uh, it was a bit different. Right. And there wasn't the reliance on, you know, GitHub, you know, you still used version control, you know, whether you use, you know, Git or Subversion yep. or, you know, Bitbucket or whatever, you know, your favorite uh, tool was. Uh, most of that was controlled by a company and you did your, you know, code check-ins to a company repository and no one ever saw them. Correct. Uh, and there wasn't any sort of tracking or anything else. So it is very important to that. 
uh, ecosystem and to the new developers. I, I read an interesting study a couple years ago where they asked uh, developers who had graduated in the last four or five years, so relatively new developers, uh -huh. what's the primary reasons you choose a job? And the number one reason that this study had was based on the tooling that they could use at the job, hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. You wouldn't think of that, but people have preferences and they like certain technologies and they like certain workflows. And it's interesting how those fit in. Uh, you know, I think that from a contributor process, making it as easy as possible is a really good thing to strive for. I think it's also important to strive for ease of use for end users to install and developers using the product as opposed to contributing to it. Right. And I think that both of those need to be satisfied in order to accelerate growth even more. Yeah, actually this, this last topic is quite interesting to me um, personally as part of my day job. The, the easy of ease of, of Postgres. If, if, if you would ask anyone, um, is it easy or difficult to use Postgres? Actually, you may find the answer like it's trivial. Because you know you go in a Linux box, you Ubuntu know, or Debian, and you say apt-get install Postgres, and boom, in a few seconds you've got Postgres running on your laptop. Um, now, the question is: This is a Postgres you want to run in production? The answer then is probably no. And uh, what is the distance between this uh, very quick installation and what you run in production? And it turns out to be huge. You need to install. A lot of all the components that don't come with Postgres, you need to do a lot of tuning. You need to understand all these tools to pick the right ones from the ecosystem, which ones work with which, which ones are good, which ones are not totally that good uh, to your use case, and, and to put them all together. And this is becoming an increasingly difficult problem, which it ends up requiring a lot of effort and a lot of Postgres expertise, which is not available to anyone. So in reality, Using Postgres may be considered like super simple, but running Postgres with production quality, production warranties, uh, and an enterprise ready, let's call it that, environment is quite hard. So that's, again, another barrier to adoption from, from that perspective. That's something that we really need to work on. And I'm personally trying to get hold on this problem. Yeah, I mean, when you look specifically at the Postgres ecosystem, Postgres has a great core database. And like you said, easy to get that core out of the box. But how many extensions exist? How many projects exist? I once did a quick GitHub count. There's over 100,000 different Postgres related projects. And there are over a thousand different ways to do high availability. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, there's there's thousands of ways to do backups. So it's hard to understand that ecosystem sometimes. And there's a lot of debate over which tools you should use for which use cases. And when you don't use the right tools, often you can harm yourself more than help yourself. Indeed. Yep. And I, I think that's where, you know, your company, Ongress, you know, you've been doing quite a bit of work to try and help users in the community understand where those pieces fit, correct? Yes, absolutely. We, we actually call this the Jekyll and Mr. Hyde problem of the Postgres ecosystem. Um, the Postgres ecosystem is, is vast. You just you, you put some numbers into it, like there's so many options. 
And this is very good because you have a lot of options to choose from. You're not bound to the tool mandated or kind of bundled by the vendor. But it's also a problem because unless you're an expert, you don't know which one is the right one. And and recent split rings and data corruption by some tools which were not maybe correct for that use case at least. And and so yes, we 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 are trying to make what we say is that we're trying to make Postgres easier to run in production. Which sounds like trivial, but in reality, as as we are discussing, is a big problem. And um it, it's it's actually even more complicated when you think about all the potential environments in which Postgres may run. We, we actually call Postgres, um, I don't know if you, have, you would agree with this, but we call Postgres a Linux, like the Linux kernel. It's, it's a little bit bare bones. I mean, it's fantastic. It has all the core functionality, all the SQL compatibility, and, and all these features of storage and warranties durability. But you, then you need the distribution around it. You need a, a set of components around Postgres that will make the distribution, the Postgres distribution. We call this the stack problem. You need a stack of components next to Postgres to be able to, to run you know, production kind of workloads. Yeah, and I think that's one of the critical things that I've seen is uh, a lot of companies start off with, we want to replace Oracle or we want to replace SQL Server and we're going to move to Postgres. And coming from those environments, there's an expectation that certain tools, certain functionality is there out of the box. Exactly. I mean, you would never think that from a SQL Server or an Oracle perspective, hot backups or you know HA capabilities would require additional software or third-party components in an Oracle or SQL Server environment. So there is that kind of translation miss that sometimes does occur. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly the case. That's what we have found. And some people come and say, and, and what is the uh, Oracle Enterprise Manager of Postgres? And there's actually none. <laughs> there are some GUI tools, but they're mostly for database objects management, not for the infrastructure, the DevOps part of the database. Right. And I think this is where, when you look at this problem, it's an interesting space because with the growth of Postgres over the last five years, six years, 10 years, a lot of this has also been piggybacked with the growth of the cloud. Mm-hmm. A lot of people choose cloud-based database as a service because it has a lot of those components already kind of figured out and it's just out of the box where you don't have to think about right. it. And I think this is where the shift that you're seeing quite a few people start to explore is how do I get that same level of compliance, that same level of structure, but not have to necessarily commit to one cloud provider or another or one database service or another. And that's where you start to see the Kubernetes play. And both your company and ours are part of the data and Kubernetes community. Um, So we we both have a a fervent passion for running databases on Kubernetes. So uh, I think that's where the great equalizer starts to come in, where you can provide end users with those capabilities to easily start to pull those components together. Yeah, exactly. And and actually, this uh, I can speak of how we came to Kubernetes. Um, it's not because we found Kubernetes the next big thing, the next fancy hipster term that everybody is jumping there into the analog, and we also need to be there. We actually came 
from this stack problem that I mentioned before, right? Like we were thinking one day, you know, we need Postgres. We need, as you said, uh, an HA solution. We, we, we like performing. Well, I, we need a backup tool. We need a monitoring tool. We need a, a connection pooler. Uh, we need uh, tuning the connection. We need even a graphical user interface for us. It's important uh, to add that to the mix. And this is like a, a lot of components. And now, how to deploy this on this cloud vendor, on this other cloud vendor, on this other cloud vendor? And oh, by the way, what are on-prem? Oh, and on-prem is, is like a wild west, right? Someone use uh, as an as an entry point to a cluster uh, DNS load, uh, load balancer, and others uses DNS. Other ones virtual IPs, uh, and you know, and then the storage and some are shared file system, uh, SAN, NAS, local drives. And when you start counting all the possibilities, you end up with an uh, basically combinatorial explosion of options. And we're thinking, how are we going to pack this? We would like to pack this into a single distributable unit that will say, hey, this is Postgres with its stack, and you can go and use it in any environment you are. And it was basically impossible. Every environment is just different. And we're tired of writing Ansible's and Ansible's and copy and pasting them because you cannot 100% reuse them. I mean, you copy them, all these change, blah, blah, blah. And they, but that's not sustainable and that's not maintainable. So, And we realized that Kubernetes was the answer. Kubernetes is the API to distributed systems that is hiding from you the details of how compute is, how networking most importantly is, and how the storage is. And just program with the against the API, and it will be the responsibility of the cluster administration, the Kubernetes administrator, to map that to, to, to physical uh, or virtual <laughs> infrastructure, right? And, and so that's yeah. how we came to Kubernetes, is the answer to creating a single package that you can distribute containing Postgres, the stack of components that we believe in this case are the better ones for, for most use cases and run on any environment, whether it's the cloud environment, on-prem or any mix or hybrid clouds or however you want to call them. Yeah, and I think that that's a powerful way to help users use the right tools and have the right setup. You look at most applications developed nowadays. They are cloud-native by default, so there's already people who are comfortable running Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. So adding another Kubernetes component or another operator to the mix is a very natural step, and it fits into how they've come to think about their application deployments anyways. So it, it coincides with that. But it also gives us the opportunity to bake in some of those best practices and some of the things that people often miss when they start trying to manage infrastructure that they don't really understand. Encryption, backups, high availability, you know, sometimes performance tuning or scaling, you know, things that you can bake into a lot of the operators as you scale your uh, resources up in there. And I think that helps people to overcome and run better applications out of the box because they don't have to worry about a misconfigured database right off the bat yeah that that's you have touched on, on a point that is key for us um this open source software that we have written uh for running postgres on kubernetes called stackgres like a stack on top of postgres right and one of the goals as i mentioned before we're trying to make postgres more accessible for production usage and kubernetes users are already used to a certain pattern on how to do some things they know how to create jamels 
they know how to create CRDs, they know how to list components, to deploy services, to attach labels to various elements, right? So one of our goals was to make that experience also seamless with Postgres. And Postgres, again, requires a lot of expertise and requires a lot of tuning to run in production. So it's not enough to just say, oh, this is, you know, this is a way of running Postgres on Kubernetes. But you still need to understand this configuration parameter, this configuration parameter, this is going to be this file created onto this path that needs these and has this other different format, which is not usual to you, or that you need to apply this tuning, or that you need to pick between these two tools, which you don't know anything, right? So one of our goals was to hide all these details from the user. You still have the option to tune them if you're an expert, but by default, they're hidden from you and everything's exposed in a very high level interface. So we're leveraging here a lot the CRDs, the, the custom resource definition that Kubernetes provides. Um, I consider them kind of an API. Also. They're part of the API surface at the end of the day, right? It's like a specification. And you, as, as the application, in this case, the operator creators, uh, we, we, we can say, you know, we believe this field is important, which has this meaning and this other meaning. And if you make them sufficiently high level and again, abstract them away from, from Postgres inner details, then any Kubernetes user that is used to work with channels and CRDs will be able to deploy clusters with production quality as if one of our company's experts would be doing this. So for example, instead of asking the user to create a 50 lines of YAML cluster definition file, including references to files like postgreskill.com, pghva.com, Patroni embedded configuration, about tuning role max size and, and how replication works and all these things. Uh, we're just, you can just create a cluster with uh, probably less than 10 lines of YAML, where the more advanced concept you're gonna be talking about is the number of instances you want, the Postgres version that you want, or the size of the disk that is gonna be attached to every pod. Those are concepts that are understandable by anyone. Then if you want, you can create a custom Postgres configuration and tune the parameters. And even then, we're not even talking about the config file. It's yet another CRD, yet another YAML, because that's how the ecosystem works on Kubernetes. But it's not only that. We have also tried to use and reuse existing CNCF components and build them into the system so that users are also more used to them. For example, you, you talked about encryption and, uh, for example, SSL communication, right? Which is important for Postgres. Um, in Stackress, uh, we don't use Postgres SSL support. This is simply not even compiled in. Uh, we actually helped and worked together with the Envoy community, the Envoy proxy, to develop a Envoy is also extensible like Postgres and accepts plugins or filters. And, and we help, and with their help, we develop a plugin for Envoy that understands the Postgres wire protocol and is even able to terminate SSL. So instead of terminating SSL at Postgres, we terminate SSL at, as Envoy, which runs as a sidecar to Postgres. This is also transparent to the users. The users don't need, even need to understand that. But then when you're going to manage the SSL certificates, um, we are now uh, connecting Envoy with Cert Manager. So that Postgres SSL certificates are directly managed by Cert Manager, which is what people understand in the ecosystem. It makes it easy because it, you're, you're meeting the users where they are and the administrators where they yeah, are. Yeah, we call this, yeah. I don't know, so you totally don't have correct, to give it but we're, we call this that we are trying to reduce the cognitive burden of using a new tool because this new tool is leveraging on tools and configurations and style and patterns that you already know. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense because 
the more tools you have, the more single points of failure you have, the more places that, oops, I forgot to do that. And then that leaves you exposed to potentially expired certifications or, you know, things that didn't get encrypted that you thought were encrypted. There's a, there's a lot there. Um, so that does make, you know, quite a bit of sense. And I think that as the ecosystem expands, you know, and as more people come on, the expectations get higher and higher for what the stack can do. It's not just, you know, what we can do today or what we did a year ago, because these, the user group and the user community is growing based on other people moving into the space, you know, mm -hmm. so we, you know, just recently Babelfish, the SQL server um, to Postgres um, uh, translation yep. from AWS uh, came out and that's going to drive more people who are used to the SQL server ecosystem right. to explore Postgres. They have a set of expectations and tooling and processes that might be completely foreign to many in the Postgres space or in the Linux space. Right, like me. And so how do how do those match up and how do you make it easy for them? Well, Bubblefish is a very interesting topic on itself, right? Uh, it's something that uh, we've always been uh, personally and as a company very interested because one of our goals is to also make Postgres reach to other areas and tap all the markets or other use cases and all the, all the users. As we were discussing at the beginning of this chat, right? Postgres is growing a lot. I still think that Postgres can grow much more than what it is. And one way to do this is making the, the use space bigger, right? Like addressing more use. Absolutely. So Bubblefish sounds like a blessing and like a fantastic open source project, open source by Amazon that I hope will, will get a lot of contributors and will grow as a large project that will merge upstream. And then we'll have Postgres with both Postgres capabilities and SQL Server capabilities. Sure, the beginning compatibility is not, I mean, I know for sure it's not perfect, but it will improve over time and it will, it will handle most of the use cases. And then we're widening the user base, right? We're, we're making Postgres uh, achieve more market, market share and address more users. Now, how we can make this experience less boring for SQL users, SQL Server users? Uh, I don't have an answer for that. Um, all, all I know is that one path we're trying to follow, and this is not exclusive for SQL Server users, but also for Postgres users, and it's something that also distinguishes these approaches on Kubernetes from the managed cloud offerings, uh, database offerings like Postgres managed services, is what, what we call the day two operations and all the automation you can achieve with Kubernetes. So if you pick a managed solution, you as very you will, will very well put it before you have backups, manage backups, you have HA, you have uh, monitoring and some alerting built in, right? There's, there's nothing you need to do. However, that doesn't mean that the database doesn't require any care. Uh, you still need, depending also on your scale and size, but you also need to take care of that about databases. There are routine operations that you need to perform on databases. In Postgres, you need to do vacuums, potentially repacks, re-indexes, tuning, and, and many others, right? And um, of course, also data migrations, which are non-trivial. And these operations, they, they're not automated. They're not provided on managed services. And it's because they're a little bit hard to implement that way. However, in Kubernetes, thanks to the API that Kubernetes provides, you may provide automation for, for some of these operations. Actually, I would say majority of those operations. And automating this, what we call day two operations, 
uh, into um, software like Stack, which is something we're focusing on. Right now, for example, just to give you an example, we've been able to automate uh, repack, vacuum, uh, uh, mayor and minor version upgrades, uh, restart of the clusters in an orderly fashion, upgrade of the container for, secu for security, and even benchmarks. So with just a few lines of YAML or from a web console like point and click, you can run a benchmark or do a mayor version upgrade. And you don't need to understand how these things work internally. And this is key because if we're going to make Postgres more accessible to SQL Server users, they're definitely not going to be familiar with how to run a PG upgrade. Uh, that after running a PG upgrade, you need to run an analyze. And all these things, you know, all these small details that are very specific to Postgres, they're not, they're not going to be familiar with this. So the capability, this ability of automating as much possible and, and again, hiding all these internal details, I think is one way to approach this problem, how to make it easier for them. Yeah. No, I mean, I think the more automation, the more that you can take away some of the specific nuances and do them for the users, the better off you are. And you can always give them access to break that automation and do it themselves if they exactly. want. Exactly. Exactly. And, and give them the best of both worlds. So wh where do you see the Postgres community going? Where do you see the, you know, the, the next year or two? Where, where, where do you see this kind of escalating? Where, where do you see the growth over the next couple of years? It's a it's an interesting topic for me. I'm I'm very interested, and I've been a little bit vocal about uh, some of the things that I don't see there perfect uh, in the in the Postgres community. Um, there's uh, governance uh, issues, in in my opinion. It's it's interesting that Postgres is is not run by any single company. It's an effort of more or less coordinated developers around the world, and has some some small bodies for governance. And as, as much as an open source community with this uh, liberal license, very open, this governance bodies, they're not as transparent and as democratic as some people believe, including me, obviously, that they should be. So, I, um, you know, it's, it's okay how they have evolved. History is history and possibly the way they were created and operated until today were the best choices at the moment. And I, I have no regrets of that. I, I believe that's that. And actually, they have taken us as a Postgres community very, very far. So hats off to that. But once we're in 2021 and uh, when we see this, I, I believe there are some improvements that are to be implemented in terms of, for example, governance. As I mentioned before, also from the contributing space, you know, how, how to remove this friction or reduce this friction to contributing to Postgres. Postgres in general, if you look at developers, I, I don't have an exact numbers, but it's kind of a little bit an aged community. With all my due respect to everybody's age, I'm not young myself either, even though I consider that. But numbers say <laughs> my ID card says I'm not. And uh, but we need more flat, fresh blood, fresh and young developers, young commuters coming to Postgres, and we're struggling with this. So there's there's this uh, problem, and 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 actually things like Babelfish represent, in my opinion, and I could be totally wrong here, both an opportunity and a challenge at the same time. Hmm. Okay. They're an opportunity because we have the opportunity as to, to, do whatever I, uh, to do what I was explaining before, not to widen the user base to appeal to the SQL Server community and to significantly grow the outreach of Postgres. But for this to happen, 
this Babelfish project exists, considered and released by Amazon as a development branch for a future feature that would like to be included upstream. What would happen if it doesn't merge upstream? Is it? I mean, and, and there's already, when this was announced uh, last year, the end of last year, there were some voices leaning on not including these or, or at least, you know, bringing some serious concerns for its inclusion. Even some core components of what Babelfish needs, which I believe would be great for Postgres to have, which is, for example, the protocol hooks, which is a way of adding an extension point to Postgres out of the many extension points that Postgres has to be able to plug in protocols. This is needed by Babelfish to implement the, the TDS protocol. But what if we tomorrow someone wants to implement another database protocol or, or totally different? Uh, Postgres right now has a protocol that is, is quite old. And, and it's very hard to replace today. There would be protocol hooks. Maybe the old protocol with the new uh, protocol could coexist. And so, what happens if all these improvements that Babelfish has, which I'm sure they need a lot of policing and, and, and breaking up into smaller chunks and, and addressing them individually, but what happens if two years from today they don't get merged upstream? They get rejected. This may happen. So then, Babelfish, instead of being a future branch, may end up being a fork. Mm. And then we would have two Postgres's, Postgres and Babelfish. Another, another Postgres version. Yeah. yeah. And one is going to accept contributors on GitHub. It's going to accept pull requests. It's going to work the modern way. And so is it going to become more successful than Postgres? That would be really worrying to me. I hope that's not going to be the case. And I'm sure the community will figure the way to polish and to uh, address Babelfish as a feature that will become a merged upstream as soon as possible. But we need to contemplate the option that this may also not happen. No, it's one of the, the benefits and the drawbacks of open source is if you don't modernize a bit, you don't um, co collaborate. Uh, people can always fork. Yeah, yeah, and uh, sometimes they do. And what's funny is there. There's a whole list of reasons. Sometimes there's valid reasons not to, but certain projects may find it more beneficial to go their own way. And so that that's one of those things that is always a a difficult thing. It's a it's a two sided coin. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Elvira, I wanted to thank you for coming on today. This has been a great chat. I appreciate you stopping by, sharing with us a little bit about your background in Postgres, where you see Postgres growing, uh, some of the you know issues in the stack space around mm -hmm. Postgres. Right. Uh, it was great to catch up. Thank you. No, really, I really appreciate this conversation. Very insightful. And I hope it will be interesting for the audience too. All right. Thank you. And for those who are watching, uh, please subscribe to the channel. And if you like this, let us know. See you next time. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.